Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Oh, what a week it has been since this general conference. Yeah, it's almost been a week. Oh my goodness. Life sure does fly quickly along. It really does. I feel like this year has gone by really quickly, too. Honestly, yes. I mean, I feel like we hit, like, a hard blow, like, in the first quarter of the year. But honestly, it's just, like, since then, it's definitely picked up. For sure. But, yeah, I'm wondering if that's the reason. But, or if it's just because it was kind of more generic this year. But I feel like this year's general conference, this last one, was not as... Crazy? Yes. Like, or it was, like, memorable for, like, any reason. Like, things definitely happened. There was some good announcement. There was some like weird talks, the usual. But I don't feel like there was anything that felt momentous enough that people are still talking about, at least from what I've seen on social media. Um, so that that's just my thought. If anyone knows otherwise, then that's for you. Good job. Yeah, this conference felt very calm for me. Like it felt. I don't know, maybe it's because of the frame of mind I've been in in the last few months, like leading up to conference, where like have not been able to really hear the voice of the Lord very well. And that's equally because of my anxiety and stress levels that I am inflicting upon myself, truly, as well as my frustration with where I'm at in general. So I'm not really creating a conducive environment for the spirit, but like in past conferences, every conference that has come up has felt like a sigh of relief. And it has felt like I got hit in the face with like things that I desperately needed to hear to be able to keep going. Whereas this time, it just felt very calm. Granted, I just needed to hear peace and I needed to hear the Spirit's voice and understand that was Jesus talking. But like, it just felt very calm for me it definitely did have a feeling to of of older gem conferences where you know when i was a kid and i'd kind of listen sit on the floor take fake notes for my parents and spend (laughs) half the time asleep (laughs) that's pretty and that's honestly kind of how i ended up going through this weekend um because i had been stressed out with everything that had been happening and so I mean, you're the one who put together all the notes for this 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 episode. I didn't end up adding anything because you had so much. And I couldn't think of anything that I really wanted to add that you hadn't already included. Like, I, I've already, like, forgotten half of what's happened or what was discussed. I was just like, let me get through this and then I'll figure it out later. Maybe not the best strategy for, you know, like, my testimony and stuff. Um, but it's all in the works and that's life. And I'm here and that's the important thing. So, I mean, it kind of reflects like where we've been because like our, so we've gotten into this like really good groove of doing a general conference review every six months yes. on our podcast. Okay. Go us. And it's been really helpful for us in a way because we know that two episodes out of the season are already prepared and taken care of. So we don't have to do much planning. We just need to listen and take notes. But I remember us recording like April's conference review and being like, oh my gosh, they hit all of the things about like the capital insurrection and like the people that are bigoted and like it just 
it felt like April conference, we were so in tune with like, we need them to hit these things that they hit those things for us. And then this week, because we've been so like dead inside, essentially. <laughs> Which I mean, is appropriate for the time of year, but still. We were like, I just want to feel something. And the Lord was like, all right, here you go. I'll let you feel something. So I think, I feel like it just tracks with like where we're going. I like it. I like it. That sounds good. Well, we hope everyone else had a good weekend, whether or not they listened to a conference. We know that it's not always a fun time for everyone. But today we are going to go through with our review, as we always do. Um, So our hope today is to share a little bit about our favorite talks from each session, mainly Tracy's, as well as any big (laughs) announcements that we picked up on during the weekend. Yeah. Let's dive in. I think, yeah, what we've done when we first began these was we were going through like each talk basically and trying to grab something from that that takes way too long everyone that's no we can't do that so we are sticking with just a few talks from each session yeah the ones that we cared the most about really before we get any further we wanted to remind you again that funeral potatoes for the singles ward is now a part of the dialogue podcast network Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and other incredible podcasts like Beyond the Block, Face and Hat, Strangers No More, Holy Human, and many others by subscribing today at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. Learn more about these podcasts and more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. So we're going to dive in and start with Saturday morning, of course. Yeah. All right. So the first talk we wanted to share from Saturday morning was Ulysses Suarez the Savior's Abiding Compassion. Um, And he made the focus of this talk obviously about compassion, but he also tried to share with us that it's not just about being compassionate in itself and like the importance of compassion, but it talks about how compassion is the foundation to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. That was really exciting to hear about from Elder Suarez this time. So a couple of quotes that we wanted to pull from it and share are the first one is compassion is a fundamental characteristic of those who strive for sanctification and this divine quality intertwines with other christian traits such as mourning with those who mourn and having empathy mercy and kindness we've already spent a lot of time this season talking about mourning with those who mourn and having empathy mercy and kindness and just making that the bedrock of our discipleship as members of the church. And so hearing that from Elder Suarez was like a really great reminder for us. It was very timely. And I feel like that's also been like kind of an underlying theme of everything that we've been trying to talk about, like throughout the entire year, honestly, um, is getting that message across that we do need to have compassion for others. And it really, it truly is a Christ-like characteristic that we need to inhabit for ourselves. Um, The next quote is, My dear friends, as we intentionally strive to incorporate a compassionate attitude into our way of life, as exemplified by the Savior, we will become more sensitive to people's needs. With that increased sensitivity, feelings of genuine interest and love will permeate our every action. 
the Lord will recognize our efforts, and we will surely be blessed with opportunities to be instruments in his hands, in softening hearts and in bringing relief to those whose hands hang down. So in summary, we will feel that we are easing our pain every time we are easing someone else's pain, which is really exciting to see that correlation because we know that as we strive to be more compassionate towards the people around us and have that spirit of compassion and, you know, kindness and genuine love, then we will, like, it will go through every single part of our lives. It won't just be recognized by the people around us who we're helping or who we're trying to be compassionate towards, but the Lord is going to bless us with more opportunities to help other people, to help people soften their hearts, to help lift people's burdens and to really be that instrument in the lord's hands and that's so beautiful yes okay um i i love that and then to follow with something else you said is in order to qualify ourselves to make righteous judgments we must strive to become like the savior and look at the imperfections of individuals compassionately even through his eyes so i feel like that's like a really important addition that suarez was able to share and saying like, yeah, like we know you want to judge. It's natural. We we all want to do it. But there is the right way to do it. And we have to be doing that if we're going to do anything at all. And we need to understand that people are different. We need to become like the Savior. That's the only way to really do anything in this life. All right. And then he rounds out his talk by saying, My dear friends, I testify that as we strive to incorporate the Savior's compassionate example into our lives, our capacity to complement the virtues of our neighbors will increase, and our natural instinct to judge their imperfections will decrease. Our communion with God will grow, and certainly our lives will become sweeter, our feelings more tender, and we will find a never-ending source of happiness. We will be known as peacemakers, whose words are as gentle as the dew of a spring morning. I just think that's so beautiful, that compassion will really permeate every single inch of our lives if we allow it to and if we really strive to you know let the savior's love and compassionate example come into our lives we will not feel that need to judge people we won't feel that need to criticize and we will just be able to grow so much closer with the people around us and with our heavenly father and that's wonderful i think it was a very good way to start um, general conference and a science in that or for a session that was very important and then we followed up with one more talk from that session which is clark g gilbert's becoming more in christ the parable of the slope okay so this one i do know a little bit about because i enjoyed reading everyone's take on his mathematical references because then everyone's like yeah that works and then it's like no no it doesn't no it doesn't like that's wrong um i don't know which way is right i I believe in math, but I don't, I can't do it. So yeah, so this was a talk about the graphs, about the math, as well as the subtle call out to privilege with the overarching question he provided, how are you involving the Lord in your development? I like it. I, I just, I really loved his like very subtle call out to privilege just it's it's so beautifully woven throughout the talk of like saying like some of you were born into like really great you know circumstances with like money and and like all of these things and then he said like some of you were born into very poor circumstances and blah 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 and, and like just his whole like it does not matter where you started 
you are not better than anyone else. You are all the same to the Savior. And it doesn't matter where you started. Because if you started with all of these great things and you turned into a garbage human, you're still a garbage human. Like, it's just, it was so good. It was so good. Okay, so let's get into it now. I'm sorry. I love this. Talk. You're good. You're good. Like, we need to read that actual, uh, some quotes from that um, to to specify what he said. So he said, we all have different intercepts in life where we start in different places with different life endowments. Some are born with high intercepts full of opportunity. Others face beginning circumstances that are challenging and seem unfair. We then progress along a slope of personal progress. Our future will be determined far less by our starting point and much more by our slope. Jesus Christ sees divine potential no matter where we start. He saw it in the beggar, the sinner, and the infirm. He saw it in the fisherman, the tax collector, and even the zealot. No matter where we start, Christ considers what we do with what we are given. While the world focuses on our intercept, God focuses on our slope. In the Lord's calculus, he will do everything he can to help us turn our slopes toward heaven. That is cute. That honestly, it just makes me feel like I am sitting in a, in a young woman's lesson, like with a math, like a high school math teacher, like trying to like be super cool and clever and giving us a and giving us a lesson. But it's a, it's it is a very important lesson, and it's very important for us to consider. And I mean, I don't think a lot of people are going to notice that that privileged call out, which I mean, they should, and hopefully they they see that one way or another. Because that is very important. We need to understand that. We need to understand how that impacts us as well as other people. That's where the compassion comes into play. We can't be taking care of others if we are not understanding where we are and where they are and doing what we can to help each other along the way. Mm-hmm. We all need to be humble. Like, yeah, we didn't get here by ourselves. We didn't do everything by ourselves. So, like, calm down, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. All right. So another quote is, in the Lord's timing, it is not where we start, but where we are headed that matters the most, which I still love that quote, too. Um, And then he also says, um, in referencing the differentiation of where we all might be, he said, let me share two areas of encouragement for those facing difficult starting circumstances. First, focus on where you are headed and not where you began, like he said then it would be wrong to ignore your circumstances. They are real and need to be addressed. But over-focusing on a difficult starting point can cause it to define you and even constrain your ability to choose. Second, involve the Lord in the process of lifting your slope. And I really do like that because he does make the call out that you shouldn't ignore where you are. And I mean, we love, I mean, we love to, to teach and set up not us, but like people vaguely, the vagueness of people like to preach on like the American dream of like just working hard, picking yourself up by your bootstraps and so on and making life what it is. Like I grew up with my parents telling me you can do anything. And I'd be like, how, like where, like, how am I supposed to start where I am? And they'd be like, it doesn't matter. And it's like, I I understand that they want to be like motivational and inspiring and everything, but it is very like you cannot just set your eyes so much on the horizon that you're not seeing where you're walking. You need to understand where you are. 
It's like going out on a walk and needing to know what kind of shoes you're going to wear. You don't have to focus and spend forever on it, but you do need to have that awareness and understand what limitations and what opportunities are there. And then you start moving along. So no, we shouldn't focus on them for so long that we get stuck on it. But we do need to have that understanding and it's important to acknowledge where we are and every step that we have to take. Like, yes, we need to acknowledge where we started and we need to acknowledge the fact that some of us had a head start in life in comparison to other people. We need to recognize that privilege, but we can't dwell on that if we want to become the person that the Savior needs us to become. We need to be actively working with the Savior to make those changes happen so we can become that person that he needs us to become. And he wraps up his talk by saying, regardless of whether we start in abundant or difficult circumstances, we will realize our ultimate potential only when we make God our partner. It's so true that if we want to involve anyone in helping to improve our lives and our potential, it has to be the Lord and it has to be our heavenly parents because they are the ones who know everything about us. They know the beginning phases of us when we were living with them in the spirit world. They know about our lives now. They know about our potential. They know about where we can go and who we can become. And if we want to be able to get there, we need their help. We can't do it alone. Exactly. So yeah, that was Gilbert's talk and it was a lot of fun. It was a good one. A little nerdy, but needed. So very nice. Yeah. All right. So we are moving then on to Saturday afternoon. So I didn't want to talk about a talk first. I wanted to talk about the choir because the choir was everything. Like, yes. they they were just everything for me. It was a multicultural choir from Northern Utah, which first of all, thank you for showing us a choir that is representative of the global makeup of our church. Like, We needed that. We needed that representation so badly at conference. It was wonderful. And then the thing that really made me happy was seeing my favorite cheerful Asian woman who used to be in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir in the early 2000s. And I used to look for her every single conference because like watching her sing just made me so happy. She seems like she's such a cheerful person. She came back for this conference in the multicultural choir and she was sitting in her regular seat up on the stand and I saw her and I was just like so happy. It felt like such a tender mercy to see her. I had like a couple of my friends message me saying that they saw her and they thought of me and so I was like, oh my gosh, I just, it just made me really happy. Um, But aside from the fact that she was in it and it was a multicultural choir, honestly, the music was my favorite part of the entire session. It felt like every song that they sung was a song that I listen to when I'm stressed or I'm struggling and I need to feel the spirit as soon as humanly possible. Each song, with each song, I was just like overwhelmed with the spirit. And then having that woman back in the choir made me feel like the Savior was just giving my heart a hug the entire session. I was just really happy the whole time. That is awesome. I felt so many feelings (laughs) during that session and it was... I loved it. They did some really good stuff. Yeah. All right. So on to the talks. So the first talk we are going to share is from Ciro Schmeil, um, Faith to Act and Become. 
Um, And he shared a really cute story at the beginning about how when he was first called to the Quorum of the Seventy, he had an opportunity to have lunch with the prophet in the church office building. And he was invited by Elder Palmer, who was in his area presidency. And he was just like, I don't, what do you do when you have, like, what do you do when you have lunch with a prophet? Like, what do you talk about? It doesn't, I don't Uh, even know. How do you like your salad, sir? (laughs) Me being like, so have you seen the latest? (laughs) <laughs> Halloween movie. So you didn't get movies lately. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so he finally makes it and gets the courage to like go and sit with him and he asks President Nelson if he had any counsel or guidance for him as he was starting his calling in the 70. And President Nelson said, "Elder Smile, you are called for what you can become." Elder Schmeil walked away from that encounter and he realized that all of the things that he wanted to become, like a better father or a better husband or a better priesthood holder or any of those things, all could be accomplished as he worked to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And so then he says, in order to become more like the Savior, we have to strengthen our faith by asking, acting, and studying, among other things. And then he goes through this list and explains what things we should be doing specifically to become more like the Savior. So the first one is, ask your Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ for help. Asking through prayer is one of the keys to knowing how to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. The second one is, acting is another essential key to becoming a better disciple of Jesus Christ. As we act, he will guide and direct us along the way, even when we do not have a clear understanding of what needs to be done. Third one is, studying is then another essential key to becoming a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer and scripture study go hand in hand. They work together for our benefit. And the last one, he says, is that many times answers to prayer may not come right away, but we must have faith to continue, act in righteousness, and be persistent like Nephi when he was trying to get the brass plates. The Lord will show us a little bit at a time as we study the scriptures. The Lord will give us the answers or the necessary strength for us to get through one more day, one more week, and to try one more time. That That is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, took me out because, first of all, I was like, how dare you tell me what I already knew about... Sometimes answers come right away. How dare you? Tell me the truth. And following it up with the example of Nephi, like, gosh, how many times do I think, and do many people in the church think that if we just pray and we study the scriptures, that we'll get the answer to our prayer immediately? Because that's basically what we've been taught. Right. But that's not the case. Like he shares the example of Nephi, like. Nephi and his brothers just got the command that they had to go and get the plates. They weren't told how to do it. They weren't told what to do, what steps to take in order to do it. They were just told to go get the plates. And it took them trying multiple times to be able to get it. Like they went in and they were like, okay, well, let's just ask him for it. What harm can that do? Okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try, you know, bribing him with our precious things. Let's ask him if we can make a trade. And then like Nephi was just like, you know what? one more time, I'm going to go, I'm just going to trust in the Lord and see what happens. And he had enough faith to just try that one more time. And that had to have come because he prepared himself. He was praying beforehand, he was studying the scriptures, and he was making that effort to follow the Savior. With us and with 
this talk, it was so impactful to hear that sometimes the, the answer isn't going to come and we just need to know that we're getting the strength to get through one more day, one more week, and one more time of trying and one more time of asking. And that's what will give us the help that we need more than anything. Um, one more quote he shared was, through prayer and scripture study, the Lord has always given me the strength to act and endure one more day, one more week, and to try one more time. Many times the answers did not come right away. I have questions that have not been answered yet, but I keep asking and studying, and I am happy that the Lord continues to give me the strength to act as I wait for answers. Honestly, hearing that from an apostle just makes me feel better. I know it's not wrong to have questions and doubts, but it's so comforting to hear that someone who I think is so much closer to the Lord than I am. Like, I mean, he's an apostle. I am definitely not. So in my opinion, he is closer to the Lord than I am. Um, but it's comforting to hear that he who is closer to the Lord than I has these questions. He has these doubts and he still doesn't have the answers to them. I don't know. It, it just makes me feel better about my situation. Like, okay, well, if he's not giving the apostle direct answers right now, like, then I guess it's okay that I'm not getting direct answers right now as well. So that just, it was very comforting for me to hear that. Yes. It, it provides a little bit of reassurance that they don't know everything. And we don't need to be such a good person where we have the answers because that, I mean, that doesn't make us a good or better person to have all the answers. And we're not going to have all the answers. So we can still be good. We can still be better. We can still be great and not know everything. And I, I love how he says that. I love how he says, like, giving me the strength to act as I wait for answers. Like, he's okay not knowing everything all the time. Well, he's, like, okay enough. Like, the same as we can ever be. And in the meantime, he's getting strength from the Lord and he's he's emphasizing that like i not that i have the strength to act but that i'm given the strength to act and i think that's a very important differentiation that he highlights and showing that connection and that relationship that he does have to our heavenly parents yeah right no it's just like a relief to know that us little people without the without all the authority and everything can still be in the same kind of situation as them yeah like i take comfort in that in knowing that someone who is in my opinion significantly closer to the lord than i am <laughs> is able to have these questions and still not get answers so like makes me feel a lot better about my situation so anyways that is elder smiles um conference talk and i loved it okay so our next one for the saturday afternoon session is Ronald E. Rasband's The Things of My Soul. And in his talk, he presents the question, what are the things of your soul? And he goes on to say, the things that prepare me to hear promptings that lift my sights beyond the ways of the world, that give me purpose to my soul and the gospel and to my life. May I share with you some of the things of my soul? These things apply to all who seek to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. 10 would be a good round number. Today I'm giving you 7 with the hope that you will complete 8, 9, and 10 from your own experiences. So shady, but you gotta <sighs> love it for it. <laughs> I remember that and I was like, huh, clever. Probably not doing that, <laughs> but <laughs> uh -huh. nice try, man. <laughs> Goodness. 
So <laughs> he goes on to list um, to list the things of his soul. Number one is to love God and Jesus Christ. First great commandment. So solid start. Number two is love thy neighbor, which is pretty much a good follow up to commandment number two, um, where he says your neighbors are your spouse and family, ward members, work colleagues, roommates, those not of our faith, those needing a helping hand, and frankly, everyone, which I just happen to super appreciate because I have thought about the concept of neighbor um, this year for like the last two years, I've been really stuck on the the Good Samaritan story. And I think about it frequently. And yeah, our neighbor is pretty much everyone. Like we need to be loving them. We need to be caring for them. We need to accept them as they are, as they see, them, see themselves and give them help and love and charity, however we can to help them. Then of course, once you do that, you, for number three, um, it is love yourself where he said, where Rasbun said, he values the divinity within us, and so must we. When we are heavy laden with mistakes, heartaches, feelings of inadequacy, disappointment, anger, or sin, the power of the Savior's atonement is, by divine design, one of the things that lift the soul. I love how Rasban shared that we do need to love ourselves, because there are so many times where we forget that part. Like, we forget that part of the commandment. We know that the first commandment is to love God and to love Jesus Christ. And the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. But how are we expected to love other people as we love ourselves if we don't love ourselves? How are we expecting ourselves to give that same sort of love and energy to other people that we aren't willing to give to ourselves? And so I love how he explicitly shared that we need to care about ourselves as much as we care about the people around us. Right. And I mean, I know there's the argument where it's like, okay, I can do better at loving and giving to others than I can love or give to myself. And I do understand that. I've definitely lived that in my life. But the thing is, we can't take them to the finish line if we're not there beside them. We want to boost people up. We want to help them along the way. And the best way for us to be able to help them is to make sure that we are beside them along that way, that we are on our own path going parallel and not at a distance far behind them and trying to shout at them and say, keep going. I'm way back here, but keep going. No, the best way to to love others, to give compassion, to do charity is to be as close as possible in your own progress so that you can help them to do the same thing. It's more of a three-legged race here in this situation. We give people so much grace and we give people so much room to make mistakes and to question things and we give them mercy, but we need to be willing to give that same grace and mercy and understanding to ourselves. We're struggling as much as our friends are. So we need to keep that same energy up for ourselves as well. So that way we can keep moving forward and we can grow with the Savior as much as our friends are growing with the Savior. Amen to that. Yes. Which, I mean, I know it always sounds easy. It's just like, yeah, love yourself. Do this. Take care of yourself. It's not that easy. Not only are we in a pandemic, but like life's been weird for a couple of years, especially as we get older. It just keeps getting weirder. And I am honestly at the point in my life where I do have to say a few affirmations every day just so that I can keep moving forward because sometimes it, it just sucks and I feel so dumb doing it, but it's giving me the strength to just keep moving on a little bit more and it you have to do what helps and what works for you and to keep just to keep moving so that you can love yourself 
And as you learn your, as you learn to love yourself, you will progress and you learn to love others more and do other things that will help them as well. So by loving yourself, you're helping everyone. If, if that helps, then his number. So that was, those were the first three to continue. He said four, keep the commandments, which, you know, makes sense. He does um, get a little bit more specific here with always be worthy to attend the temple for number five. I mean, that's pretty solid. So do what you can um, attend when you can. For number six, he said, be joyful and cheerful. And he referenced saying the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. Oh, so this quote is actually a quote by President Nelson. And it gets used multiple times during conference. Like, I didn't count how many times I heard it in conference, but I know it was used at least, like, once per session. So, keep your ears peeled for that one. Okay, I mean, at first at first glance, I'm like, okay, that just disregards everything that Gilbert was saying about the situations that we're at in our lives and having to acknowledge those those situations um but this quote is more referencing about the joy that we can, and the things that we can experience and do for ourselves so no matter our situation we can feel joy and that is important to note because it's easy to get to the point where it's like okay all i need to do is this if i do this then i can have joy does everyone need real ter- retail therapy sometimes definitely yes yes <laughs> amen to that we are <laughs> That's the girl that did that today. We would enjoy it. Love it. Um, The joy we feel basically has everything to do with the focus of our lives. That is what they are saying here. We can feel joy more or most when we are focusing in our lives. So incidental joy and reactive joy, like those are all things. They're real. um, But we can have more more joy that stays when we are more focused and intentional about where we are essentially looking in our lives. I think this quote means what is the focus of your life? I think when we focus on the circumstances of our lives, like me trying to find a new job and being miserable at my current job and overworking myself between work, school, and podcast and just life in general, okay? Those are the circumstances of my life. If I am focusing on that, it is next to impossible for me to feel any kind of joy whatsoever. If the focus of my life is the savior and my heavenly parents and striving to strengthen my relationship with them, then I can feel greater joy because my joy is in Christ and it's not in where I am currently. It's in the fact that I am a daughter of God, that I have divine potential and that everything that I'm working for now is for a higher purpose and for a reason. The Lord is giving me these things to be working on because he wants me to get to this next step that I couldn't get to before. The here and right now and the stress that I'm feeling to focusing on the Savior, that's when I find joy within my circumstances and within the stress and the insanity of my life. Yeah, we'll continue with the last two. Um, There is follow God's living prophet, which those have some pretty good points here. He says, we have a prophet of God on the earth today. Never discount what that means for you. I promise that as you listen and follow their counsel, you will never be led astray. 
And he follows it up with, the account of Naaman reminds us of the risk of picking and choosing the parts of prophetic counsel that fit our thinking, our expectations, or today's norms. Our prophet continually points us to our own River Jordans to be healed. Get the vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Just saying what's on everyone's mind. Um, I mean, okay, so like, let's refresh people's memories about the story of Naaman really quickly. So Naaman, if you remember, he had leprosy and he traveled to go visit the prophet Elisha so that he could be healed of his leprosy. He gets there, his servant comes out, Elisha's servant comes out and says, Elisha says, go to the river Jordan, wash seven times and you will be healed. Naaman gets furious because he says, I traveled all this way to see the prophet and the prophet can't even give me the time of day. What the actual heck? This is bullcrap. I'm not going to the river Jordan. And he storms off angrily. It takes Naaman's servant to talk him down and be like, if the prophet had asked you to do some great, huge, challenging thing, would you not have done it? And he said, yeah, I would have. And he goes, okay, so what do you have to lose if you go wash in the River Jordan seven times? And that's when he finally was like, all right, I guess you're right. So he went to the River Jordan, washed seven times, came out clean, had no more leprosy, goes back, apologizes thanks the servant, and then he's able to spend time with the prophet. The prophet is telling us to do something very simple, two very simple things right now. He's telling us to wear a mask and to get vaccinated. He's not commanding us to do these things, but he is telling us that this is the counsel that he's giving us as the prophet, because not only will it save us, but it will protect the people around us as well which is what we should be doing if we love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves right we're being told to be compassionate we're told to be loving we need to do what will help others around us the story of naaman is that example that like naaman wanted to pick and choose the prophetic counsel that he was being given he was like well what if i go wash in this other river seven times it'll work there's better rivers besides the river jordan why can't i go to one of those it wouldn't have worked. The miracle wouldn't have happened if he had gone to any other river because the Lord's prophet told him where to go and what to do specifically to be healed. Elder Razban here is echoing that, that our prophet continuously points us to our own river Jordans that we can be healed. He tells us specific things so that we can stay safe, so that we can be healthy, and so that we can return to the Savior. We may not like what we hear, and that's okay. We don't have to like it. We just need to ask the Lord what we should do about it. But he's telling us that we need to follow this prophet. So yeah, I love that story um, because it shows how simple following commandments and expectations can be. Is it always like that? No, not always, I guess. Um, But like at the core of our doctrine, we do believe in following simple commandments and simple rules and being able to be to humble ourselves enough to be obedient is very important. And one of the things we can do to do that is to follow God's living prophet. And I know we've discussed before, like, we know that the leaders of our church are not always going to be um, speaking as a church leader, speaking as the voice of God and everything. We we understand that we're not changing our minds or anything. Um, there is a lot of duality that has to be addressed within the church, essentially, because, yes, we believe in the spirit. We believe in 
revelation and everything and this guidance. Um, and it's still possible for people to make mistakes. So it is something that we do need to keep in mind. But when in doubt, you know, follow God's prophet. That's what Raz is saying. Never discount what that means. And then following that, he ends his list. That's only seven. And he did suggest 10. And so he ends with, I invite you to identify your own eight, nine, and 10. Consider ways you might share your heartfelt things with others and encourage them to pray, ponder, and seek the Lord's guidance. So action items, y'all. All right. So now let's go into the Saturday evening session. And the first talk we wanted to share is Brent H. Nielsen's is there no bombing Gilead? So he shared the story of his father's journey with pancreatic cancer and the subsequent months of grieving that his family had, you know, when he was diagnosed, watching the slow decline into death, and then, you know, ultimately when he completed his journey of mortality and he passed away. And he started off with this poignant question after he had explained the whole process and how his family was grieving, and he said, is there no bomb in Gilead for the Nielsen family? He follows that up by saying, the Savior's healing power is not just the ability to heal our bodies, but perhaps even more important, his ability to heal our broken hearts. I just, I love this talk. I love this talk so much. I could talk about it all day. It was probably my favorite talk from the entire conference, but it's so beautiful because we do forget that the Savior has the ability to not just heal our bodies and give us that miracle, but he can heal our broken hearts and heal our busted emotions and make us whole again. So his next quote says, I learned that the object of my faith must be Jesus Christ and that I needed to accept what was expedient to him as I exercised faith in him. I understand now that my father's passing was expedient to God's plan. Now, as I lay my hands upon the head of another to bless him or her, my faith is in Jesus Christ, and I understand that a person can and will be physically healed if it is expedient in Christ. That was like the mic drop and the mind-blowing comment that I needed to hear, because so often we think that if we're praying for this miracle, that it's going to turn out exactly the way that we want it to, when that is definitely not the case. Like, the Lord will sometimes leave us in our trials because he needs us to learn something new and he needs us to become something new. In all of these situations, when we have these trials and these experiences, the Lord isn't punishing us and he's not like withholding a miracle from us. He's just not giving us the exact miracle that we want in the exact moment that we want. It's because in that moment, we need something more. We need time. We need growth. We need change. We need something else. And that's what he's trying to give us. So then he says, As we cheerfully submit our will to the Father, even in the most difficult of circumstances, the Savior will lift our burdens and make them light. And I just, I love that. And then he says, as I now look back with more mature eyes and experience, I see that the Savior's healing power was evident in the lives of each of my family members. I was so focused on a physical healing that I failed to see the miracles that had occurred. And I loved hearing this because, again, sometimes we are so focused on this one specific miracle that we want that we don't see the multitude of miracles that are happening every single day in our lives. The Lord may not be blessing us with the miracle that we are seeking in that exact moment, or he may not bless us with what we think we want as our miracle, but he is giving us miracles every day, and he is paving the way and making us 
something and someone brand new. And that is another miracle as well. And then he closes up his talk by saying, with that knowledge, we can move forward with faith, knowing that when difficult times come, and surely they will, or when sin encompasses our lives, the Savior stands with healing in his wings, inviting us to come unto him. The Savior is here to help us. There is balm in Gilead for us. And even though we can't see or recognize that healing in his wings immediately, it is there. And we can move forward with faith confidently knowing that the Lord is with us along the way. I feel like, I feel like you covered him pretty well. So let's move on. All right. The next one we do want to highlight is Bradley Wilcox. He is not in a church leadership role, um, but he's a very public speaker. Like, that's weird. Oh, no, he is in a church role. He's in the Young Men's General Presidency. Oh, he is? Yeah. How long has he been there? A year or two? I don't know. Something like that? I don't know. Good for him. Um, okay, so Bradley R. Wilcox. I actually heard him speak, I think, at SVU once. Uh, I know he came down, actually, to um, to Orlando to speak one. So we've heard quite a bit from him. I also have one of his books. From his speaking opportunities, I have liked what he said. In his book, he did offer some outdated material. So when I heard he was speaking, I was not thrilled. But there is a reason why we are sharing what he spoke about in this episode. So he spoke in his talk, worthiness is not flawlessness. That's pretty strong. So pretty good. Let's dive in. He said, Some mistakenly receive the message that repentance and change are unnecessary. God's message is that they are essential. But doesn't God love us despite our shortcomings? Of course. He loves us perfectly. God loves us as we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us this way. That's good. It goes in line with everything that we talked about, especially that one really good. Was it Christofferson who shares the story of the bush that needs to get pruned and everything? Yes, that's... I. That's where Wilcox is going with this. He goes on to say that life is like a cross-country road trip. We can't reach our destination on one tank of gas. We must refill the tank over and over. Taking the sacrament is like pulling into the gas station. As we repent and renew our covenants, we pledge our willingness to keep the commandments and God in Christ bless us with the Holy Spirit. In short, we promise to press forward on our journey and God in Christ promise to refill the tank. So as someone who really likes analogies, I really like this one. I think that's a really important note to take. I think that we often fall into the rhythm of treating everything as a habit, um, which I mean, technically it is like you go to church, you you do your prayer, your prayers and your scripture reading and so on. It, it feels like just another habit you start doing and it, it becomes a motion that you just take care of. And yeah, that that's the thing. Like, as long as you're doing it, like you're headed in the right direction, you are refilling your tank, so to speak. And I think that's a really nice and simple way to look at it because sometimes we do put a pressure on ourselves to do everything so perfectly and orderly and everything. And sometimes it really is just enough to have gas in the tank and to make sure that you find the next gas station when you need it. So he goes on to say that God's message is that worthiness is not flawlessness. Worthiness is being honest and trying. And we must strive to keep God's commandments and never give up just because we slip up. Which I really do feel like um, people are beginning to to discuss a little bit more in the church where it's like less about perfection and more on doing what we can and not giving up on where we are and 
being okay with the fact that we have slipped up. I feel like we just get so stuck in the mode sometimes of like, okay, we have to be perfect. We have to be Christ. Like we have to do all of this. And when we slip up, we have to repent and then go back to doing everything perfectly. That's not the way that we live. Our good days, the good things that we do, it's always, it, everything's going to vary so much. Like the great things that we did last year are going to be different than the great things that we do this year. And it's not that we'll do more or do better. They'll just be different types of great things that we do. And it's a difference that we need to keep in mind. Everything that we do, all of our choices are going to always just, they're going to be different. And we need to understand that and accept the flaws that we have and continue to just keep progressing as we go. Being worthy does not mean that you are perfect. It just means that you're striving. It's so important to recognize that the work that you're doing to become better is more important to the Lord than you actually being perfect. He wants us to just be trying. And so he shared this quote. He said, being honest about your actions and taking steps to move forward is not being a hypocrite. It is being a disciple. The Lord sees weaknesses differently than he does rebellion. When the Lord speaks of weakness, it is always with mercy. That, that one was strong for me. Very succinct. And I love it. I love it so much. All right. So another one is, he says, remember that change is possible. Repentance is a process and worthiness is not flawlessness. Most importantly, remember that God and Christ are willing to help us right here and right now. His grace is not just a prize for the worthy. It is the divine assistance he gives us that helps us become worthy. It is not just a reward for the righteous. It is the endowment of strength he gives that helps us to become righteous. We are not just walking toward God and Christ. We are walking with them. And I think that was such a good way to wrap up his talk because, yes, we know that we're walking towards the Savior. Everything that we're trying to do in life is to get to the celestial kingdom to end up with our heavenly parents and and Jesus Christ. But we're not just walking to them. They are walking with us the entire way. Scriptures say so many times that the Lord is in our midst and that he will go before our faces. And so like we are partners in this walk towards eternal life. They didn't just drop us here and say, good luck. See you at the end. Like they're holding our hand, walking us there. So yeah, that's, that, it was a, it was a very strong finish for him. I was very pleasantly surprised and pleased with what Wilcox had to share. So yeah, those are the two talks that we wanted to highlight for our the Saturday evening session. So pretty pretty good stuff. Um, a good way to end maybe the end the last of all Saturday evenings. We'll see. They could change their minds again. I know. Who knows? I know. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so let's move on to Sunday morning with Camille and Johnson's Invite Christ to Author Your Story. That was a cute one. As someone who likes to write. I made us keep this one in our notes because Kaylee and I are both literary minded. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted us to have a moment to think about how it just it, it connects so much to our lives. So I just felt like we needed to discuss this one. So she starts and she says, I begin by posing several questions meant for self-reflection. What kind of personal narrative are you writing for your life? Is the path you describe in your story straight? Does your story end where it began at your heavenly home? Is there an exemplar in your story? And is it the Savior Jesus Christ? I testify that the Savior is the author and finisher of our faith. 
will you invite him to be the author and finisher of your story? I love these questions. They're really meaty questions for us to think about. So then she says, quote, because the Holy Ghost works in perfect unity with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, we know that the manifestations of the Holy Ghost are reliable. Why then are we sometimes resistant to asking for this kind of heavenly help? Truth manifested to us by the Holy Ghost. Why do we put off asking a question to which we do not know the answer, when the witness not only is friendly, but will always tell the truth? Perhaps it is because we don't have the faith to accept the answer we might receive. We don't want to ask a question and get an answer that doesn't fit neatly into the story we are writing for ourselves. End quote. <sighs> oh my gosh. Honestly, this was like a knife in the chest for me because legit, how often am I putting off asking the Lord the questions of my soul <laughs> because I don't want the answer, because I don't have the energy or the faith or the willpower to take that answer and to actually do something with it. And so I just avoid asking that question. I just avoid it entirely. This She's reading me to filth through this entire talk, and I do not like it. For real, though. Honestly, like I feel like the, the older I get, the more I'm beginning to hear. And it's not frequently, but it does get mentioned and it does get brought up. And it's, I don't remember ever hearing this as a kid, but it's like, yes, ask the hard questions. Like, do not be, do not be afraid of it. Just, just do it. Dare for it kind of thing. I mean, not only is that just like a nice concept, but it's like, okay, yeah, like I, I have been a little bit of a chicken in my prayers and I don't need to be (laughs) like, why am I holding back? So, I mean, are we going to get all the answers? No, are like. But we we still might. And by asking them in the first place, that does something for us. That does something for us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in our relationship with our heavenly parents. It does make a difference whether or not we get the answers and whether or not we get the answers that we want. It creates an impact and it's something that we should be daring for. How dare she tell me the truth, honestly. So then she says... Frankly, few of us would probably write into our stories the trials that refine us. But don't we love the glorious culmination of a story when we read the protagonist overcomes the struggle? Trials are the elements of the plot that make our favorite stories compelling, timeless, faith-promoting, and worthy of telling. The beautiful struggles written into our stories are what draw us closer to the Savior and refine us, making us more like him. Yeah, it's true. I just don't like hearing it. I don't like hearing the truth. <laughs> so then then she says, if we had more faith, we would ask the question and then be willing to accept the answer we receive, even if it doesn't fit our comfortable narrative. And the promised blessing that will come from acting in faith in Jesus Christ is an increase in faith in him as our author and finisher. So she wraps up her talk by saying, Why do we want the Savior to be the author and finisher of our stories? Because he knows our potential perfectly. He will take us to places we never imagined ourselves. He may make us a David or an Esther. He will stretch us and refine us to be more like him. The things we will achieve as we act with more faith will increase our faith in Jesus Christ. And honestly, like this talk was such a, like it was a RuPaul's Drag Race library challenge where she just, the library is open and she read me for filth. Like she just read me for filth because it's so true. Like that's what it is. Like I have definitely been 
slightly apathetic. I admit it. I have been a little apathetic lately, and I have not been asking the Lord the hard questions in my life. It's equally because I've been stressed and anxious and like procrastinating it, but also because I know that I don't have the strength, the wherewithal, and the faith to accept whatever the answer is. And so I've been pushing it off. And so hearing her be like, just freaking do it, definitely lit a fire under me, made me feel like I need to get my act together and start doing something about it. So such is life. All right. The other one that we want to mention for the Sunday morning session is, of course, Russell M. Nelson's The Temple and Your Spiritual Foundation. And so Nelson was kind of rounding it out now um, by resuming the conversation about the Salt Lake City Temple and about our spiritual foundation. So with President Nelson's talk, he started his talk with that video about um, the updates to the Salt Lake Temple Foundation. So we know from Elder Stevenson's talk, they were going to be overhauling the whole foundation and like doing all of these crazy engineering things, which like, I don't fully understand, but I'm not meant to understand it because I'm not a civil engineer. Um, But he shows himself like standing in the foundation of the temple and there's like these giant gaps in the foundation and these cracks and like, it's slightly terrifying because like... You know that the foundation is secure, but there's also like these holes in it caused by like earthquakes and like, you know, settling of the building. And I just thought like, I have been in that building and that was underneath (laughs) me and I do not feel safe now. They put it up for as long as they could. It was so cool to see. And that image is kind of like burned in my mind now because... I feel like after Elder Stevenson's talk in April 2020 about my foundation, I really took time to focus on rebuilding my foundation and what my foundation is built on in the gospel and in my testimony. And I think over the last year, at least the last like five or six months since, you know, April's conference, I feel like there has been a few earthquakes. There have been earthquakes, there's been some shifting and settling, and it's just been hard, and it's really taken a toll on my foundation, and so I feel like I have those gaps and those cracks in my foundation, much like the Salt Lake Temple. Amen to that. He went on to say, we are sparing no effort to give this venerable temple, which had become increasingly vulnerable, a foundation that will withstand the forces of nature into the millennium. In like manner, it is now time that we each implement extraordinary measures, perhaps measures we have never taken before, to strengthen our personal spiritual foundations. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures. So he goes on to say, so I ask each of you, how firm is your foundation? You don't just sing that song for fun. And he says, and what reinforcements to your testimony and understanding of the gospel are needed. I like that one. To me, I have a very hard time like making like personal assessments, self assessments and everything. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm sure I know I have red hair. I think I'm funny, but I don't know that for sure all the time kind of thing. Like it's hard to figure out. And I think that's fair. Should I be working at it? Yes, we should all work at it a little bit at least. But I, so I don't like that question as much. It's a fair one. But I love the second question. What reinforcements to your testimony and understanding of the gospel are needed? 
So he's not just saying to like build up our faith, but like to build up your knowledge. And I just feel like I've been more on a kick in the last couple of years um, to actually try and dive into the theology of our religion to explore and try to understand it more because it really is fascinating and there's so much to learn. So it's just, I, I just really like that differentiation. He's not just talking about the testimony. He's talking about our understanding of the gospel. And I mean, if you want to have a testimony, you really should have a thorough understanding of the gospel. Um, you want to be able to put your faith into something that you comprehend. Hearing that question that he asked, you know, like not how firm is your foundation, but the second question of what reinforcements to your testimony and understanding of the gospel are needed. Where do I need to go in with like cement and fill those cracks? Or where do I need to go in with like rebar and whatever else materials they're using and restructure and support my foundation because that's what I need to be focusing on now. Yeah. So Nelson goes on to say, the Lord has declared that despite today's unprecedented challenges, those who build their foundations upon Jesus Christ and have learned how to draw upon his power need not succumb to the unique anxieties of this era. Honestly, the main thing that comes to mind when he references the unique anxieties of this era is how I went to Target for three things and I came out spending $60 when I really didn't want to spend that much money. And it is super basic, but you know what? That's one of my anxieties of this era. I don't know if Nelson was talking about that. But in all honesty, we, we really do have all sorts of challenges, not just shopping issues. Um, and I do like the emphasis that it's like, we already have an answer to this this problem that we run into. We just have to take the opportunity to to rely upon Jesus Christ. Then he says, ponder these three truths that number one, the restoration is a process, not an event, and will continue until the Lord comes again, which is pretty cool. I, I really like that that viewpoint. I hadn't really considered that before. It, yeah, it, it really is an ongoing process. We're still very much a new faith, a new religion, and the, and the viewpoint of the rest of the world. And so we definitely have these weird growing pains. I mean, let, let's face it, we really do. So I like that first truth. The second one is the ultimate objective of the gathering of Israel is to bring the blessings of the temple to God's faithful children. Number three, as we seek how to accomplish that objective more effectively, the Lord reveals more insights. The ongoing restoration needs ongoing revelation. One of the things that I feel the church always preaches is that we have the truth, we have all the truth, and so on. We have all this information put together. We have all this truth here. Um, but that doesn't mean that is the end. One of the things that has helped us stand out as a religion is having that prophet um, who receives ongoing revelation for for everyone. Um, and it's something that we need to keep in mind as we go along. Like, yes, we're still growing. The church is still growing and we're still learning through it. All right. So he also says that he is the one who wants you to understand with great clarity exactly what you are making covenants to do. He is the one who wants you to experience fully his sacred ordinances. He wants you to comprehend your privileges, promises, and responsibilities. He wants you to have spiritual insights and awakenings you've never had before. This he desires for all temple patrons, no matter where they live. 
and I'm just gonna add in Heavenly Mother would feel the same way. It's 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 them. All right, to close, he returned to his view, his point of the temple where he said, "When renovations on the Salt Lake Temple are completed, there will be no safer place during an earthquake in the Salt Lake Valley than inside that temple." Likewise, whenever any kind of upheaval occurs in your life, the safest place to be spiritually is living inside your temple covenants. I like that. I think it's, I'm going to say quaint, I don't know why, um, but it is a simplified view that allows us to consider that there is hope and light even during the trials that we are facing. And that's the message that he is trying to get across. That so long as you are doing the best that you can, that you are keeping the covenants and the commandments that you've promised to keep to our to the Lord, then you're doing good, even when you are having a hard time and otherwise possibly feeling at your worst for any given reason. Okay, so this talk also felt very much like a hold on to your butts, something big is coming talk. Like the entire time I felt like he was going to drop something huge and he was going to blow all of our minds, um, but it never came. And so now I'm just like, okay, well, he, he just gave this talk. It's very, it's very, it feels very reminiscent of when he gave the take your vitamins talk a couple of years ago. And then, you know, like, the world blew up. So part of me is like, oh gosh, what's coming? What's coming? And I'm just a little anxious about that now. But that's just me being an anxious person. But tell us, let us know if you felt the same way about this talk as well. Unfortunately, he did not share what is about to happen. So we will continue to anxiously await whatever is bound to happen. All right, so that wraps up the Sunday morning session, and now we're going to move on to the Sunday afternoon session, our very last session of General Conference. Yes, starting off with Garrett W. Gong, which we had to because Gong, he's he is great. I I do look forward. Like, yes, there's other great speakers, but I do actually look forward to hearing him when I hear that he's about to speak. So he gives a talk, trust again. And he says, my message today is whether we are coming home or going home, God is coming to meet us. In him, we can find faith and courage, wisdom and discernment to trust again. And I really love that. Actually, in a way, like I feel like this is a small theme, a subtle theme that's been emphasized in this uh, weekend that that God is closer to us than we can comprehend that we are not that detached that we are yeah that we're just not as far apart as we feel that we might be but that our heavenly parents are right there and it's not that difficult at all to connect with them i had a lot of feelings about this talk but it <laughs> especially when he said his next two quotes which are one trust is an act of faith and two Trust becomes real when we do hard things with faith, which I was just like, ouch, that hurt. Brings it home every time. Yeah, we need to trust in the Lord, and that's how we coincide that with our faith. I like how he says, while our individual circumstances are personal, 
Gospel principles and the Holy Ghost can help us know if, how, and when to trust in others again. When trust is broken or betrayed, disappointment and disillusionment are real. So is the need for discernment to know when faith and courage are merited to trust again in human relations. I think that is so important. I know we talk so much about forgiveness. Like, that is something that Jesus taught. We believe in that. We're supposed to forgive them all over and over and over again. I get that. But it also, we don't discuss the the concept of trust and how that plays into forgiveness. Because when you do forgive someone, you do not have to say, I trust you again. Things are normal. Like, do what you will, basically. Um, I've, I've never liked that. I've never understood it. That's way too vulnerable a position than I want to be in. So I like him providing that defense and saying, you don't have to trust people right again. You're going to get hurt when people betray you. And that is okay. Your feelings are valid. And you can rely on the Lord to help you have the faith to trust again. It's a very timely discussion because I feel like in the past couple of years, with the way society has gone, so many of us are having a really hard time trusting in anybody. And to me, this this was comforting. This was like, he's handing out teddy bears to everyone and saying like, it's going to be okay. Like, you can hang in there. You've got this. I have a lot of feelings about this talk. Just a lot. Well, yeah. Gong just a brings lot. it home. So Every good. time... Okay, so he says that we can always trust God. The Lord knows us better and loves us more than we know or love ourselves. His infinite love and perfect knowledge of past, present, and future make his covenants and promises constant and sure. So I love that the the confidence that comes within that. And he adds, with faith and trust, God will transform us. So I love that it basically comes off with, you're valid and you can have hope in these struggles that you've been facing. It was just a really comforting talk and I love the validation that came from it. This next talk that we wanted to share was by Anthony D. Perkins, Remember Thy Suffering Saints, O Our God. And he opened up this talk by sharing the story of how he was diagnosed with cancer five years ago and how he was enduring radiation, surgeries, and so many side effects from medicine just to cure his cancer, and he was just miserable. And so he says, Today I share four principles of hope drawn from scripture, prophetic teachings, many ministering visits, and my own ongoing health trial. These principles are not just broadly applicable, but also deeply personal. And then he jumps right into the first one, um, which is, Suffering does not mean God is displeased with your life. I felt like we needed to hear that so badly because hardship is not solely contingent upon sin. It just happens. However, the Lord can direct this suffering to refine our souls and to help us become more like him. Suffering and problems and trials and everything is not reflective of the Lord being upset with you or being disappointed in your life choices. It just, it just happens. It's a part of life. It's very strong. Um, I think, yeah, because we get so caught up in the moment and our pain that we're, we are always asking, why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? And it's, you're in a very vulnerable place. That's understandable. And you want to make sense of the terrible things that you're having to deal with. But those aren't the questions to be asking. 
I mean, we, we can ask them. We're probably not going to end up with the answer that we're looking for. I don't think there is an answer most of the time. But what we can be asking is, where is the comfort that I need? And you will, as you ask that question, as you look for it, you will begin to find that. The second one is, Heavenly Father is intimately aware of your suffering. And then he follows it up by saying, he has not abandoned you. He will never abandon you, which I felt like was such a mic drop because, I mean, I've definitely felt like the Lord has abandoned me in my trials and he's just not listening anymore. But then I realized that like, it's not that he's not listening. It's just that I'm not listening and I need to do better and I need to be better. So this was a nice reminder. The third one is Christ offers his enabling power to endure your suffering well. Your temporary moment of strength is nothing in comparison to the Savior's ability and power to strengthen and enable you to endure all things. Truly, like, we cannot endure anything on our own. Like, we need the Savior to make those things happen. And the last one is, choose to find joy each day. He says, it is okay to weep. Yet, if you find yourself in dark nights of suffering, by choosing faith, you can awake to bright mornings of rejoicing. And I think that that was a beautiful reminder for us that, you know, our suffering is temporary. We can, you know, we can go to bed and be in those dark nights and the worst possible suffering possible. But if we are choosing to listen to the Savior and make him the focus of our lives, choose faith, then we can wake up in the morning knowing that we have a new opportunity to live and to try again and that we will not just be suffering. Like the suffering that we experience is not the baseline for our lives. It's a abnormality. The Lord ultimately wants us to be happy. And so we have to remember that this time is temporary, that we're suffering and that we can overcome it with him. Right. And I think that is a very important statement to share because it's a reminder that that those dark nights of suffering, it doesn't mean that they're going to be gone doesn't mean that you'll never have those again. It doesn't mean that you'll suddenly be better and cured or anything. It means that you can have hope moving forward with the next step that you take. There isn't a cure-all for everything that we that we experience in our lives. People um, are going to have mental health issues throughout the rest of their lives. There are people with chronic pain. We're all in different stages of trials in our life in all sorts of ways. And that's not just going to be suddenly cured, but we don't have to let the pain bury us. We can have those bright mornings of rejoicing and we can have faith and hope for a day that is slightly better than the one that's before. Um, And I feel like the next and the last talk that we'll be talking about is a nice, um, flow in that same direction. And that's uh, Sean Douglas's Facing Our Spiritual Hurricanes by Believing in Christ. And so he said that you may never face a devastating physical hurricane. However, each of us has weathered and will weather spiritual hurricanes that threaten our peace and try our faith. Yeah, I haven't faced any terrible hurricanes. I know I've been in a few, but I was able to get through them, okay? But there's uh, many other situations that I've been in where I did not come out super okay. And so Douglas goes on to explain in his talk how the sure way to endure and overcome a hurricane in our lives is to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he shares some interesting analogies following this. He said that doubt is an enemy of faith and joy. 
Just as warm ocean water is the breeding ground for hurricanes, doubt is the breeding ground for spiritual hurricanes. Just as belief is a choice, so is doubt. When we choose doubt, we choose to be acted upon, yielding power to the adversary, thereby leaving us weak and vulnerable. That inattention can induce a lack of spiritual conviction where we are neither cold nor hot. If we are not anchored in Christ, doubt and its allures will lead us away to apathy where we shall find neither miracles, lasting happiness, nor rest unto our souls. I like how he says when we choose to doubt because doubts are already going to be in our mind. Those are just going to come. Um, like, I know they're always saying doubt versus faith. You can only have one or the other in your mind. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that we're going to have them always warring within us. But what we can be doing is teaching ourselves to direct ourselves toward the faith. And the more that we turn to and cling to our faith, the weaker the doubts will come. They will never go completely away. Um, but we can grow our faith stronger so that our faith already, always has like more room within us. And then he ends with saying that we face our spiritual hurricanes best by believing in Christ and keeping his commandments. Our belief and obedience link us to power beyond our own to overcome whatever is happening or not happening in our lives. I, I think that's a really strong way to conclude because it's it's giving us two things to be doing, to believe in Christ and to keep his commandments. Because as we do those things, then all the other steps that we have discussed before that our, our church leaders and authorities have discussed, those follow um, down the path of believing in Christ and keeping his commandments. As we do that, we will continue to grow. We will continue to understand our religion more, and we will learn how to be more compassionate and more loving um, to and more trusting to those around us. So that wraps up all of the sessions. Some highlights, not all of them. <laughs> Just a reminder. Yeah, all of our 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 highlights of conference. Um, but we did want to end with the temple announcements. Holy cow, there were a lot. <laughs> I was expecting like four because there's already been a ton of announcements for new temples. And with the state of things around the world, like, I feel like progress had kind of slowed down. So I was like, why are we doing so many? I mean, yes, this is great. I'm excited. I'm excited for everyone who's going to be having some because I think a lot of them are in countries where there already is um, a temple announced or built. But I think there's still a few places that, like, didn't have any. So I'm very excited for them. Um, and I was just very pleasantly surprised to see that there were 13 temple announcements. So... Let's go ahead and share the list. We're sorry that we are probably going to butcher all of the pronunciations of these. We say them with respect and hope that you at least comprehend what we are saying. And we're doing our best. So the first announce is Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Takloban City, Philippines. Monrovia, Liberia. Kananga, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Antananarivo, Madagascar. Culiacan, Mexico. Victoria, Brazil. La Paz, Bolivia. Santiago West, Chile. Fort Worth, Texas. Cody, Wyoming. <laughs> Rexburg, North Idaho. Everyone, I, I've been loving, like, everyone's, like, Twitter reactions. They're like, you mean, like, across the street? The Krusty Krab meme is my favorite. When they opened the second oh, right next to the first Krusty Krab. Yes. Anyways, okay. 13. 
It's up. 13 is Heber Valley, Utah. All right. So according to the church newsroom, quote, President Russell M. Nelson also said that following the dedication of the Orem, Utah Temple, which had its groundbreaking in September 2020, reconstruction will begin on the Provo, Utah Temple. President Nelson has announced 83 new temples in the nearly four years he has served as president of the church. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now has 265 temples announced under construction or operating, end quote. Which is crazy because my temple, the Boston, Massachusetts temple, was the 100th temple dedicated, and that was in 2001. That's so many. Oh my goodness. 2001. That's insane. Well, and then honestly, like within like the next four years, I'm 90% sure we're going to reach that 300 mark. So in 20 years, we've had 165 temples announced under construction or operating, which is insane. It's so crazy. So wild. So I feel like one of the overarching themes of this conference was that quote that we shared by President Nelson, the the joy that we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. I really feel like they were trying to get across to us this conference that we need to stop focusing on ourselves and that we need to focus on the Savior. Not only what he would have us do, but what he would have us to become and focus that as the focus of our lives instead of being carried away by the stupid stuff that overwhelms us on a regular basis. Like I had said at the beginning of the episode, like most conferences, I feel like there are some big like mic drop moments for me where I'm like standing up and cheering like, yes, finally someone said it. But like this conference again felt like so calm and so like peaceful for me that I feel like this was the Lord's way of telling me like, you need to realign your focus again because the last couple months you got distracted and led you to apathy. So fix yourself, Tracy, and let's get it together. Well, and I think it just sets up like a really nice reminder too, because half the time I just feel like we're constantly being pushed to serve others and do everything for everyone else that we should lose ourselves in the service essentially, which is good and all, but this is a refocus and saying, Hey, what about you? Like, you do need to be taking care of yourself. You do need to be working on yourself, not just, you know, getting to heaven, that whole thing, but focusing on taking care of yourself now so that you can be your best, so that you can have the best relationship possible with Jesus Christ and your heavenly parents. So, yeah, I feel like I, I really like that um, because the last couple of years have been super crazy and it's nice to have that comfort and that that hope. And that faith for moving forward that we can figure things out. And these are really good talks to help us remember how to take care of ourselves from a spiritual viewpoint. I will be going back to read. I will be going back and reading more of the talks. And we invite others to do the same if they so desire. If not, maybe this was enough for you. And we're glad you stayed to listen. I hope that at least like you were able to feel some of that peace during our retelling of conference <laughs> you tried to highlight some of the the more uplifting things um did we like everything no did we like more things that we didn't mention yes um so we will be hope we'll be looking for ways to include those talks that we missed here into more detailed episodes 
Just a reminder before we close that our podcast, Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward, is officially now a member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. You can subscribe to our podcast at dialoguejournal.com now, as well as other amazing and like-minded podcasts. You'll always get ad-free episodes and bonus content there as well. So check it out, dialoguejournal.com. And feel free to share with us what you enjoyed about John Conference or your weekend if you didn't listen to it. Yeah. So thanks for listening this week, guys. We are glad that you came and joined us on this journey of General Conference. Thank you. Bye. Bye.